All right, well, you guys welcome up, Pastor Aaron. What's up, what's up, everybody? You know, in normal circumstances, when somebody says what's up to you, it's usually rude to just stare back at, you know? So, I mean, my ideal, if I was coming on stage, you guys would be clapping and I'd be dancing and it would be hype in here. That's my ideal scenario. But I will just take a what's up back, okay? So I'll try it again. What's up, y'all? That's perfect. See, that, that's all it took. I didn't need the clapping, you know, just the what's up back. It's great to be here. It's great to be a part of the Redemption Church family. I will tell you this. It is so unique of what God is doing across the state of Arizona through Redemption Church. To think that there is a community that is meeting across the state of Arizona in very different contexts. I mean, if we were to see all of our congregations side by side, you would go, what is it that they have in common? They don't worship the same. They don't sing the same songs. They don't, they don't look the same. All of us look and act very different like the family of God. We are not a people who are assimilated to a kind of culture. We are a people who are distinct as God created us, but we are one by his Spirit. The beauty of what the gospel can do to bring congregations and people together. I love being a part of redemption. And I love what God is doing here in Flagstaff. I want to just say, just to honor your pastor here, I think we should give Anthony a hand for all the work him and his family are doing here. Anthony, I love you. And I'm really thankful that God has you a part of this community and a part of Redemption Church. Now we're going back into the book of John together. So as you heard from our reading in John chapter 14, um, if you've been here for a little bit, we kind of pushed pause on the book of John to go into a series called Countercultural Convictions. And so as we go back into this book of John, some of us could kind of forget where we were at in the book. And so it's important for us to not just study this text, but to kind of run at it so that we can remember where we are in the story. That these scriptures are not isolated. They're actually a part of a grand narrative in which we, the people of God, are a part of. And so to see the bigger picture helps us to understand the details. And so I want to take a minute this morning to remind us of how special this book, the book of John is. I love the book of John and John gives us what I would call a behind the scenes, a behind the scenes glimpse into the life of Jesus meant to invite the reader closer into a relationship. What I have loved about John is I feel invited by Jesus. He wants us to be close. You know you were not designed to be far from him. It is sin that has separated us. God did not design us to be far from him or far from one another. But because of sin, there's that separation. And as Jesus comes close to us, he's inviting you to be close. You're designed to be close. And the book of John is written in an invitation type way. A way where John invites you closer. 
So let's lean in as we study this text together because I I think this is the best way to understand the book of John is by leaning in and getting close and desiring to hear the heart of Jesus that could speak to his disciples but could also, by the Spirit of God, speak to you. I want you to remember that at the beginning of the book of John, Jesus rises in popularity. I mean, he's doing all kinds of signs. We've, we've walked through that kind of the seven signs uh, that happened, but there's all kinds of signs and wonders. And as Jesus is rising in popularity, people are loving Jesus, the works that he's doing. And simultaneously, as Jesus is rising in popularity, there's a whole group of religious folks who are wanting to kill him. That while he's rising in popularity, there's also a growing concern by religion that he should be killed. There's kind of a turning point in the book when he feeds 5,000 people. And after he feeds them 5, 000, these 5,000 people, they say, we want another meal and so they cross over the, the, the river, they cross over to go find Jesus again to get another meal. And when they come to him, he says, I ain't feeding y'all. You, you all crossed over here. I'm not going to feed you uh, what you think you're going to get fed. And instead of giving them another meal, he tells them, you need to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And when he tells them that he is the bread and that the real bread that they need is not what they think they need, they really need Jesus, at that moment, his rise in popularity begins to crash fast. He also looks to his disciples because they all are leaving. He looks to his disciples and he says to them, are you going to leave too? They say, where else are we going to go? In you are the words of life. And after that, you see Jesus going through all kinds of public, if you will, trials where they're plotting to kill him and he's confronting certain things. He goes to the Feast of Booths and there's a, a whole kind of uproar there. His public ministry is beginning now to become kind of a confrontation where religious leaders and people are, 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 are trying to kill him and put him on trial. And in that moment, Jesus does at the end of chapter 13 kind of a... Last call for his public ministry. And everything after that becomes private work between him and his disciples. So he he does a last call for his public ministry. And then he just spends time through 13 and the rest of the book where you see him just interacting with his disciples. And And through 13, you see Jesus washing his disciples' feet and in the same way predicting the betrayal of Judas and telling Peter he's going to deny him. And the whole time he's trying to prepare his disciples for his leaving. Now, why this is important is I want you to think of this. Think of the disciples who left all that they had. They left their families, their jobs, they left 
everything to follow this guy, Jesus. They loved him and they trusted him. And you're going to see that everything Jesus went through in his rise to popularity and then in everybody not liking him, the disciples are trying to give him advice throughout all of this. Hey, you should go to the Feast of Booths and maybe they'll like you again. Or you should do this because they're trying to help him. The disciples are witnessing everything that Jesus has been through. They walked through all of this with him. They watched as he rose in popularity and was doing amazing miracles, and then they watched as thousands walked away. They watched as religious leaders were plotting to kill him. They watched as he raised Lazarus from the dead, and they watched as people were trying to kill him so he wouldn't raise anybody else from the dead. They were witnessing all of these things. And in that, when they had chances to walk away, they didn't. They stayed with him. And now, he stops doing public ministry and he spends time with them, washing their feet, eating with them, and telling them, some of you are going to betray me and abandon me and deny me and... I'm taking off. And could you see now why in verse 1 he would look to his disciples and say, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You see, because in their belief in Jesus, he was all of their life at that moment. Now he's telling them that he's going to leave. And how are they supposed to feel when they've gone all in on this guy and now he's leaving them? This is a struggle. Especially for someone like me. Now, I'll just tell you a little bit of my story and how I can relate to this. The way I interpreted the gospel growing up, because I was born into and a part of a, a pastor's home. And, and I wasn't one of those, you know, wildin', trifling pastor's kids, you know. I was the one who was self-righteous and religious. I wasn't the one who said, give me my inheritance and I'm going to go spend it. I was the one who was like, I'm daddy's good little kid, you know. I did everything right that everybody could see. I start clubs, I'm preaching really young, I'm doing all kinds of things. And I could tell you story after story after story that are some funny and sad of ways in which I navigated through my life thinking if I follow God and do everything he tells me to do, and if I obey his rules and, and stay with him, he's going to bless me. And surely he will never disappoint me. You see, for some of us who would consider ourselves to be kind of perfect little Christians, if we will, it's hard for us 
to realize that some of our expectations on Jesus are, hey, I'm following you as kind of a payment or a transaction, and, and I, don't, I don't want to say it this way, but hey, you owe me, Jesus. It's in, in some way, it's kind of like a, a karma. If I do the right thing, then surely Jesus will never, ever disappoint me. And there is so often where I've sat with many Christians who have felt the exact same way. They said, look, I watched as my church and we just had all kinds of things and people were being baptized and, and, and we were doing all, we were giving and we were blessing and we look at the church rising and it was so fun to watch the rise, the popularity. And then all of a sudden something happens in the church and we're disappointed and we're watching pain and brokenness and people fail us and pastors and leaders who, who've, has anybody ever been there before? Yes. I have. And then in the midst of that, you turn to God and you say, God, I gave my tithes. I followed you. I prayed every day. I did everything I thought you wanted me to do. How could you do this to me? All of a sudden, we use all of our religious kind of, I've done all the good things, and it doesn't work. And we get disappointed because we feel abandoned by the one we followed when everyone else was bailing. You see, what's hard for us is when people don't meet our expectations. But what's even harder for us is when we think God doesn't meet our expectations. Has anyone, or just me, ever felt troubled on the inside because we think the one we followed and trusted is going to abandon us and leave us alone. You see, right in the midst of this, as Jesus is preparing them for his leaving, he can see that this is troubling his disciples. And he looks at them and says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And he calls them to what he would say will ease our trouble. He calls it believe in me, or I will say the word trust. Trust me. Believe me. Believe in God. And if you believe in me, or if you trust in me, or if you put your faith in me, something beautiful happens. For a troubled heart, here's what you need to see. There's true rest. Trust in Jesus is the only true rest for a troubled heart. And Jesus looks at his disciples, understanding the place that they're in, and he tells them to trust him. Why? Because when you are in the middle of losing or 
feeling abandoned or things that you think should go a certain way because you think you've done everything you're supposed to do and followed the way you're supposed to follow, what you need to hear from the voice of Jesus this morning is what I need to hear. The only place I can find rest is in trusting him. Hmm. The last thing you want to hear if you're a self-righteous control freak like myself. It's the last thing you want to hear when all you've been able to do is trust no one but yourself. And when Jesus tells them to trust him, I want you to notice how he tells them. First, in verse 2, he says, listen, trust me because I'm going to prepare something better for you. Listen, trust me because my leaving is preparation. Trust me because what feels like abandonment to you is me preparing something better. Verse 3, he says, trust me because this season that is patience for you is actually waiting for my return. Notice this, he says, trust me because I'm preparing a place, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back and I'm preparing something and I will not leave you. I, I'm not going to leave you and, and never come back for you. So he's saying, even though it seems like you're abandoned, it's just you waiting. In verse 3 he says that he's going to this place and where he is going is where he is. And he is going there to get us to where he is. And this is where verse 4 says he's going so that he becomes the way to get where he is. So when you're trusting him, here's what you're trusting. You're trusting that he's actually doing something that you can't see to prepare for something that's better, that requires patience for you, but he's going to come back and he's actually doing it because you can't get yourself there on your own. It is him who has to make the way so that he can become the way for you to get there. And this is why trust is so difficult. Because in the midst of him saying this to his disciples, when he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust me. I'm going to make a way. I'm going to come back and I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to uh, get you to where I am. This is, don't, he's saying, trust me. You would think all of the disciples, like us, would respond, Jesus that just melts my heart. I trust you with everything in me. Just like you always do when Jesus says trust him. No, we hear ourselves in the disciples more than we want to admit. Can you say amen to that? <laughs> Some of us are like Thomas, verse 5. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how are we going to know the way? 
He's saying, Jesus, I know you're telling me to trust you, and I know you're saying you're going away. I'm, 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 my heart is getting troubled, and, and here's what I want to, to know. I need to, I, I don't know where you're going, and if I don't know where you're going, how am I going to know the way? So many of us, if we're honest, are like Thomas. We struggle with trusting because we struggle with trusting something we don't know. Any of you intellectuals in here, any of you uh, who love to trust in your mind, any of you who just know that the answer to everything is knowledge and the way to really get something you can trust is to just have it all figured out here. And when God does something you can't figure out, your biggest struggle is God. I don't understand. So if I don't understand, how can I trust? Y'all are leaving me up here alone. Maybe I'm the only one who needs a message like this today. But I'm praying that some of us could see that sometimes our lack of understanding forces us into a deeper relationship with Christ when he calls us beyond understanding when he says, trust in me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, trust in him and let him lead you. And for us who love knowledge and ability, look at what Thomas loved. He wanted to know and he wanted to know that he was able. He wanted to know that he understood it and he had the ability to accomplish it. And what Jesus was calling Thomas into caused him to struggle because I don't understand it and I don't know how to get there. And if I don't understand it and I don't know how to get there, then how am I going to get where you are going? You see, when it comes to understanding Jesus and trusting in your own strengths and abilities, the gospel becomes uh, weakness rather than power to those who are trusting in their knowledge and their abilities because the gospel calls us to trust in him in a way that goes beyond understanding and beyond our abilities to hear for someone that you cannot do enough to save yourself is good news for those who understand their weakness but to those who trust in their abilities it's offensive to hear i cannot save myself and like Thomas, many of us have been ingrained in and have believed in our own mind and our own abilities. And when God calls us to live by faith, we can't understand it because faith is something that goes beyond knowledge and beyond ability. It moves you into vulnerability and it puts you in a place where you can't trust in what you always trusted. You see, what we don't like to admit is we are more like Thomas than we want to say. When it really comes down to it, what we trust is what we understand and what we can do. And Jesus is saying to them, trust me. And Thomas goes, I can't, because I can't understand it, and I can't get where you're going, 
And if you're expecting me to get myself there, I don't know. And I can't go there if I don't know. I love Jesus' answer back to Thomas. How many of you have heard these scriptures before? Jesus' answer back to Thomas is so profound to me where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you know me, you would have known my Father also. For now you do not know him, nor have you seen him. We'll address that in just a moment. But I want you to see Jesus' answer to Thomas and Jesus' response to us. He's saying, I am. We're saying, I don't understand and I don't have enough strength to get there. And he goes, I am your understanding. And I am your ability to get there. I'm the pathway. I'm the strength. I'm the knowledge. I am all of it. And here is the hardest part for us to understand. In a world that lifts up knowledge, so let's say mental knowledge, and devalues knowing a person or understanding a person. Let's try to illustrate it the best way I can think of. And I'm, I know illustrations always fall short. But if I wanted to get to know my wife, the last thing I'm going to do is dissect her body and study the parts of her body and look at her spleen and, and chop her up and try to get to know her scientifically. If I want to know my wife, I don't chop her up to get to know her. That's going to kill her. Right? I mean, I'm not a scientist, but I think it's going to kill her. If I want to get to know her, I have to leave her in her body and I have to hear her story and I have to understand the heart, the emotions. I have to understand the parts of her that others don't understand. I have to know her in a way that goes beyond this and goes into just a, a it, it's, it's not less than this, but it's far beyond this. It's a relational type of knowing. And what Jesus is saying to them is you have a far greater knowledge that's just beyond your understanding. You know me. And if you know me, you know the Father. You know God. You know all that you need to know. Knowledge and knowing is in him. And then he's saying, and if you want to know the way, I'm also the way. You can't get there unless you get there through me. Everything else, might, power, ability, knowledge, mind, all of these things, when they get elevated to a position of God, they will fail us. But when we see 
that trust and faith is when we bring all that we know and all that we are and all that we have and we go, God, I cannot, but for some reason you've opened our eyes to who you are and you've caused me to fall in love with you, Jesus. And no matter how many are walking away, just like the disciples said, where am I going to go? You're the truth. You're the way. You're everything. You're the words of life. Jesus' answer to him is, you know me? You know all of that. You know me? You have the way. If you know me, you know the path. You don't have to figure out how to get there. You're there because you know me. (laughs) That's good news. You don't have to figure out how to get there. You're there because you know him. You don't know the answer? Jesus says, you know the answer because you know me. Matter of fact, you can't know the answer apart from knowing me. Better news than knowing the answer is you know Jesus. You know him. You know the answer. You know life. You want to know the the purpose of life? You know it. You know me. You know Jesus. And even after that answer, you would think the rest of the disciples would go, okay, I got it. But now another disciple pipes in. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father And that will be enough for us. Many of us are like Philip. Maybe we haven't been trusting our mind or our abilities, but what we think we need is to see it. I can't believe it until I see it. We don't know how to trust anything that goes against our sight. I can't trust unless I can see. So Jesus, if you'll just show us the Father, that'll be enough. If I could just see him. We're the, we're the show me people. We're the ones who just say, I, I can't believe it until I see it. Many of us may not be like Thomas. We may be like Philip, God, prove it to me. Show us. Give me the answer. Show me, and then I'll trust you. Jesus is so patient with his disciples, and he is so patient with us. Can you say amen to that? How many of us have had these kinds of conversations with God? I know I have. God, I I can't understand it. God, I don't have the ability. God, just show me and I'll believe it. And here's what Jesus says to Philip. How long have you been with me? And you still don't know? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Here is what he is saying. I have revealed myself 
to you, Philip. I have shown you myself. You have seen me. And if you see me, you see him. If you see me, you have seen it. If you hear my words, because he says, I don't speak with my own authority. I only say with, if you hear my words, you're hearing from the Father. If you see my works, you're seeing what God does. You see, what Jesus knew was the reality of his union with his father. He knew his sonship. He knew that whatever his father had told him to do was what he was coming to show his father to the world. And so Jesus coming to them was not a downgrade from the father. If you see him, you see the father. You have to notice that if you're going to understand next week's topic on the Holy Spirit. Because many of us think the Holy Spirit is a downgrade from Jesus. Just like the disciples. Just like when Jesus was standing right in front of them, he had to, you don't need to see the Father, you see me. And if you see me, you've seen the Father. If you see his works, you're seeing the works of the Father. Look at Jesus continue to tell them, you want knowledge? Know me. You want the way? Know Know me, I'm the way. You want to see the Father? See me. Jesus continues to show them that what will ease their troubles is not answers, ways, more knowledge, or more sight. What will ease their troubles is trust. Brothers and sisters, when you are in the midst of trouble, we try to find relief in other places rather than trust. We try to figure it out. We try to work with our own ability. We try to see with our eyes. We try to get all things to make sense. And so many of us, as we're trying to get everything to make sense in the midst of our troubles, find more heartache and more trouble because the only place that you can find rest is in trust in Jesus. amazing to me his final response that we're going to look at today he tells them that if you believe in me and the works that I do you're going to do greater works (laughs) this is hard for many of us and and I'm going to tell you that I'm not going to jump too far ahead, but I believe, and I think you should do some study on this, but I believe that this statement is actually preparing for Jesus' promise of giving them the Holy Spirit. It wasn't until Jesus was going to leave that they would not be able to have 
the Holy Spirit. And in the next verses, he's going to tell them, I'm going to give you something better. It's better that I leave because you're getting the better. And now he's saying to them, you're going to do greater works. What is the one thing the disciples were able to do that Jesus did not do? It's not like they were raising more people from the dead or healing more blind eyes. Because a lot of us go, greater works? I mean, I haven't healed. I haven't cast out demons. I haven't done. What are these greater works? The disciples were able to pray and see people filled with the very spirit and life of God. What is he showing them? He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We struggle with these verses. I get to do greater things and whatever I ask, We struggle with this, and the reason we struggle with this is because it doesn't match our sight, our reality, or our understanding. Everything that Jesus is confronting when he says, trust me, we struggle when it comes to this statement. How many of us will read a statement like this? Well, I've asked, and God hasn't done it before, so obviously that's not true because I would understand it if it was true. How many of us have, have looked at, well, I've, I've asked and I couldn't see it with my eyes, so I, I prayed that somebody would be healed. I've had this happen to me. God, I trust you. Will you heal my grandmother? Will you heal my mom? Will you heal my, and God, for some reason, doesn't answer that prayer. And there's been other times, yes, I've asked, God, and, and you, you didn't do it. It's hard for us to trust when we hear statements like this and you go, God, if you're saying this, then, then what does this mean? And I can't trust unless I understand. I can't trust unless I see. I can't trust unless I have a way that my abilities can accomplish this. And Jesus is telling them to trust him. And when he says this, he says, ask me. I'm going to tell you a story and then I'll be done. I was reading this text in a time where I was really wanting something in my life. I can tell you what it is. But I want to leave it like that because I think many of us have confronted places like this in our relationship with God where we really want something. Right now, Juan Chavez is preaching back at Alhambra with the same text, and we were talking about this, and he really... He, he went through a miscarriage and he was telling me, I really prayed this text all the time. God, would you deliver my baby? Could you heal him? And even after the baby was miscarried, he said he believed so much that he kept asking that the baby would even be resurrected. It could be stories like that. It could be stories about things that I want and I would go to God. God, I want this. And I went to the Father, and I was sitting there praying, and I heard Jesus tell me in my prayer time, just in a, this text, just ask me. And I went through the whole thing, just ask me. And I went through the whole thing. God, I don't know if it's your will. I don't want to ask unless it's your will. 
I don't know if, if you want this for me. So I gave him the Christian answer. I gave God the Christian answer. You know, I only want to ask things that I know you want for me. I don't want to ask for something I may want. and I don't, I don't want to be that kind of kid who's just asking. I don't want to be a spoiled little child you know, that always asks. Some of us could struggle with asking because we think it doesn't work. And some of us could struggle with asking because we're afraid to be vulnerable. We struggle with being a child who doesn't have the ability to do it on their own and has to ask. We just want to be able to do it ourselves. To come and to ask puts us in a place where we have to what? Trust. It puts us in a place where we cannot do it ourselves. When we struggle to understand and when we struggle to see, here is what God invites you and me into. When we struggle to understand, why aren't you doing what I've asked or I don't want to ask or when we struggle to understand, how do I get there or what do I do? When we struggle with it, Jesus does something that we are not looking for. We want him to come and swoop in and fix it and make us understand it and give us the answers we want. And he goes, Trust me. In the midst of our trouble, he invites us closer. Whether it's hard to ask because we want something too bad and we don't know why, whether it's hard to ask because we've asked and, and God's not doing what we've asked him to do, if we're struggling to ask, his answer is Ask me. Come to me. Why? Because the answer to your asking is him. The answer is not even what you're asking. The answer to your asking is him. He is the answer. And so when you come to him, you are coming to the answer, and here's the reason why. When you trust, you are transformed by the Spirit into a child who asks the Father for everything. Just like Jesus says, I'm a child who only does what the Father says, I want you to be a child who trusts and always asks, and always does. I want you to not just know everything and get everything and un understand everything. I want you to be my child who trusts me. I'm gonna end with this and hopefully set you up for next week. Luke chapter 10, and then we'll pray. Luke chapter 10 gives me a lot of insight when it comes to this. Because here's Jesus speaking to his disciples again in a similar fashion. He says this to the, his disciples. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. 
You're like, that seems so open-ended. Whatever I ask, everyone who asks, so everyone and whoever seeks, finds, whoever knocks, the door will be open. Then he goes to the father-son relationship. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, would instead give him a serpent? This, this is just saying, look, even bad fathers who are worldly fathers, who are broken and sinful fathers, if their son comes to them and says, hey, dad, can I get some fish? Won't go, yeah, for sure. Here's a snake to bite you, you know? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? Hey, hey, Dad, can I get an egg? Yeah, here's a scorpion. <laughs> if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Notice this. He's saying, look, I'm, I'm the father who gives really good gifts. And if you... Fathers in this world who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. There's none of us that will come to the Father and ask for His Spirit. The Spirit who gives wisdom and knowledge and insight and beauty and revelation. The Spirit that indwells us. The Spirit that brings life. The Spirit that shows the way. The Spirit that is God Himself living inside of us. There is none of us that will come and say, God, what I really want is you. That He will withhold Himself from you. That the real gift that we receive as children of God is we get Him. We get Him. There is none of us that have put our faith and our trust in Him beyond what we can even ask, think, or imagine that we would come to Him that our Father will withhold Himself from us. He will give liberally to those who ask. He is such a good father, trust him. As we go into a time of listening and prayer, and as the band prepares to lead us in a time of response, I want us to sit for a moment, close our eyes for a minute while I pray for you. And I want you to think of what is it that you don't understand. What is it that you see that you don't have the ability to do? And what is it that you're having a hard time seeing and you think if I could just see it, I would get it? What is it that is troubling your heart? Because today, I'm not going to give you a shallow answer that will give you knowledge, and I'm not going to give you more strength and ability that can help you to fix your problems, and I'm not going to give you more sight so that you can see it clearly. What I'm wanting you to hear is 
you have it. Jesus has given him whole self to you. He has poured his very life and spirit into you and he's calling you into something deeper than sight, something deeper than knowledge, something deeper than ability. He's calling you into trust. I believe today you will receive rest. Not because everything is fixed and understood, but because you can trust him. Father, would you just pour out your Holy Spirit upon your children? That we would receive the very life of Christ together by your Spirit. And that you would wash over my brothers and sisters, that some are feeling so heavy and troubled because they're watching things that they've expected that are falling apart. They, they feel like they've done everything and they're still feeling they're failed by you. God, would you just speak to them that they need to trust you and that you are doing a good work that's beyond that they could even see. In Jesus' name, amen.